You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back inside another edition of the Straight Up Saints Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Rosvogel Report and on Instagram at Straight Up Saints. The Saints are going to verse the Falcons for the second time this season. The first time around, it was pretty much an ass-kicking. I know the 24-9 scoreboard probably doesn't do it justice, but the Saints had full control of that game for the majority of it, especially the second half. Um, it was Taysom's first start, so obviously we were pretty excited for that one, but it was really the defense that stole the show. Eight sacks, two interceptions, was just really dominant and per you know, per usual, Cam Jordan was in the backfield getting himself well acquainted with Matt Ryan. And we'll see if that happens again this Sunday as this will be the second and final meeting of the season between these two rivals. I'll have my keys to victory. We'll talk about the injury report, how I think Taysom Hill will perform in his third start and all that in just a little bit. But before we do that, let's talk about some current things right now and things that are at least solid um, uh, and things that are concrete, I should say, about this Saints team. And the one thing I really want to talk about, and I kind of alluded to it earlier this week on the YouTube page, which you can check out at Straight Up Saints, is Quan Alexander and Quan Alexander's arrival and then the aftermath of his, his presence in New Orleans, and I know it's only been three games that he's been here, and we'll see what happens. Obviously, things can change, and things fluctuate in the NFL all the time, but the Quan Alexander acquisition for the Saints is a home run. It's a home run all the way through. He's been excellent for them. He's taken a lot off Demario Davis's plate, and this defense has only given up one touchdown in the three games that he's in, and I think that is fantastic. Um, obviously, you're not going to say that one man is the reason why the defense has only given up one touchdown in three games. It doesn't work that way. It's a whole unit. You need all 11 to be in sync. But what has really helped the Saints, and speaking of being in sync, is that when Quan got there, it was a quick transition. He didn't play in Tampa Bay due to COVID protocols. He played against San Francisco, immediately starts making plays, and Sean Payton said he seems like he's been there since week one. Like, that's how easily he's transitioned over from San Francisco to New Orleans. The playbook's perfect for him. He's getting along well with his teammates. And he has that energy that's contagious. Um, and he, you see it goes on to other guys. DeMario feeds off him. The D-line feeds off him. And you love a guy like that in the locker room. Now, it doesn't just come down to what you're seeing with your eyes. You know, eyes tell a lot of the story. And you can see on the field when you're watching the Saints that Quan Alexander helps a lot. He's been really good for this football team. But the numbers also back it up. And my good friend Ross Jackson from Canal Street uh, Chronicles did an amazing job breaking down Alexander's impact. And the title and the headline for the story was great. He wrote, Quantifying Alexander's Immediate Impact with the New Orleans Saints. And of course, for quantifying, instead of spelling it the correct way, he put K-W-O-N, obviously a play on words with Quan's name, which... By the way, brilliant job by Ross. It's punny and great, and we love it, and that's why people do love him. And his work on this one was fantastic. He talked about one thing that stood out was the second-level defender passer ratings. And what we mean by that are guys in the linebacking corps and the safety-slash-cornerback group. So literally anyone other than your defensive line, what's the passer rating when targeting them? And before Quan uh, got there... Demario Davis, 121 passer rating. Malcolm Jenkins, 101 passer rating. CJ Gardner-Johnson, 108.6 passer rating. Not great numbers, guys. Those are pretty high numbers. You don't want them to ever be that high. Here are some of the players since Alexander hit the field, um, and Ross put this down. It was brilliant. Demario Davis, 70.1. Malcolm Jenkins, 48.6. CJ Gardner-Johnson, 37.4. That's a huge improvement. That is something that it doesn't just happen overnight. It's not a coincidence that Quan gets there. And things start to change. 
because they finally have another dependable piece in there. And this is not a knock on Alex Anzalone, guys. I don't mean this to offend Alex Anzalone. But Quan Alexander is a better player. When Quan's on his game, he's a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker. When Alex Anzalone's on his game, he's a solid rotational piece. There's a big difference. And you're seeing now with Quan, it's really just transitioning over to everyone else. But you also want to see how they do against tight ends. Well, the proof's in the pudding, folks. One catch for Noah Fant this past week. I'm going to put that to the side. I don't even want to talk about Noah Fant's game because that would be unfair for me to critique him. He had no quarterback. Kendall Hinton was the quarterback. So let's take that aside. How'd Hayden Hurst do in Week 11 against the Saints? You're not going to find him in the box score because he didn't have a single catch. And Hayden Hurst, probably not a household name for everyone, although fantasy players definitely know who he is. He's had a pretty good season, guys. A pretty good season for a guy who was a former first-round pick. And the Saints, early in the year, struggled. Struggled mightily with tight ends. I mean, I think you guys all remember how we felt after Monday night between the Saints and the Raiders because Darren Waller literally just beat the crap out of the Saints' defense. Demario Davis didn't work. Malcolm Jenkins didn't work. P.J. Williams, yeah, better better luck next time, buddy. That didn't work either. So that was a concern for the Saints. Tight ends, can they fix it? Well, I've seen them shut down Jimmy Graham, Rob Gronkowski, Hayden Hurst, and even Jordan Reed didn't have a great game against the Saints. Not bad, but not a great game. So the Saints are starting to get better against tight ends. That's a testament to uh, to Quan. And another thing you're seeing, and I think this is really big, is what are you doing in the short passing game? Are you getting burnt by screens? Are you getting burnt by quick hitters? I can say, honestly, by watching the Saints last couple weeks, that's not the case anymore. It's not. And can that change over the next four or five games? Yeah, absolutely it could change. It's the NFL. It changes week to week. But you're seeing with Quan, his speed is incredible. And there were a couple of plays last weekend albeit it's against the Broncos, no quarterback, don't want to get too confident over that. Quan's speed, though, is insane. He should not be able to move from sideline to sideline the way he does. And sometimes he'll bite him in the ass and he'll miss because he's flying in there and he's he's coming in too hot that he can't put on the brakes. But most of the time, it's a big play. And that's something the Saints haven't had. And now that Quan's there, DeMario doesn't have to do everything. And now that DeMario doesn't have to do everything, Every week, it keeps looking like DeMario Davis is having his best game of the season. And then the following week, that looks like the best game of his season. It's a trickle-down effect, and it's a trickle-down effect that we like. Not the trickle-down effect from the Saints defense that we used to talk about. When one guy doesn't play well, then this guy doesn't play well, and then that guy doesn't play well. And all of a sudden, you have the 31st-ranked defense with Rob Ryan, and his bye week turns into a bye-bye week. Like That that used to be the trickle-down effect. No longer the case with the Saints. We're talking about a good trickle-down effect, and you're seeing it with this defense. Now, I don't want to get into the Falcons-Saints preview yet. Still got more things on my plate I want to talk about. And that other uh, you know subject that I really want to talk about, I don't think enough people are discussing it around the NFL world, is Sean Payton. And Sean Payton's case for Coach of the Year. I'm going to start out by just stating the obvious here. If you guys disagree, that's fine. I don't think Sean Payton's winning Coach of the Year. I don't think Sean Payton's going to win it. This is a guy who's been fined by the NFL multiple times. This is a guy who the NFL does not stand. And the reason is because he's one of the few coaches who has no problem calling the NFL out on their shit. So that's why the two don't like each other. And obviously the bounty gate thing didn't help things. But besides that point, Sean always calls the NFL out when they're being idiots. They don't like that. So take that, put that aside for a sec. I don't think Sean Payton's going to win coach of the year. So I need to get that out of the way before I make my argument. That doesn't mean... He shouldn't win it, though. Just because I don't think he will doesn't mean he shouldn't win it. Since week four, the Saints are tied for the best record in that span, 8-0, tied with the Steelers, who haven't lost a game this year. The point differential, plus 107, best point differential in the league. It helps when you're beating the Buccaneers by 35 and the Broncos by 28 and you're beating the Falcons by 15. 
starts to add up, folks. Starts to add up by a lot. The Saints are winning by double digits almost every week now. Yardage differential. That was something that was big before the Saints went on a crazy run. Before the Saints went on this crazy run, the Saints were actually really good in yardage differential for a while. And the reason I know that is because when the Saints were 4-2 and two and people were a little skeptical of them, Colin Coward, who I know you guys can't stand, brought up the yardage differential. And he said that's the one thing about the Saints that looks intriguing. And I know that that isn't the only thing that should look intriguing about them, but when you're a Saints hater, you're only going to pick one. That's what he picked. And you know what? Whatever. I'll give it to the jackass. He was right there. So yardage differential plus 856 for the Saints. That's big. First in the NFL. Points per game, 29.8 points per game. That's third. Concerning the fact that Drew Brees has missed the last two games, I think you'll absolutely take being third in the NFL. But here, for me, is the most important one. Points per game allowed, 16.4. Best mark in the league. So you can say that's not on Sean Payton. You could say that's because Dennis Allen's coaching better. And you could say that's because Quan Alexander's there. You can. You, those are absolutely reasons for why this defense has turned around. It's absolutely why this team is starting to play better football. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to one person, Sean Payton. Sean Payton's adaptable when his, co- when his quarterback goes down. Sean Payton's able to adjust the game plan depending on what's going on, not just with his team, but the other team. And we saw that this past week with the Broncos. That was not Sean Payton's game plan. The, sh- the game plan was not to run the football 20-something times with Latavius Murray and just chew up the clock and play defense and run the ball, and that's it. That wasn't the game plan. He changed it because they were playing a team that they were going to beat regardless without a quarterback, and he said, hey, why the hell should I put you know more tape on film, uh, more plays on film, excuse me, for people to get more on Taysom Hill and know what he's about as a quarterback? Sean scrapped that out. He said we're going to play conservative. I don't know if a lot of quarterbacks can, uh, a lot of coaches, excuse me, can do that. And how about Sean's ability to go from what used to be a a risk taker and a good risk taker, not a Bruce Arians risk taker, a a calculated risk taker? Sean knew when he would want to take the shot plays back then. If it's second and two midfield, he'll take the shot play. Sean took a really big aspect out of his game, took it out of the playbook because they needed to adapt their offense to Drew Brees' arm and the fact that it's no longer strong. And that's fine. A lot of coaches would not be able to make it work, though, and instead the Saints just turn into a methodical offense that is all about controlling the clock, moving the chains, and still getting the ball in the end zone. It's hard to do that. The Saints do it. People like to say the Saints don't get cheap touchdowns, quote-unquote, and by that I mean one play, 80 yards, and all of a sudden you put up seven points. Yeah, they don't get cheap touchdowns. I'll give you that. They're still averaging 30 points a game. At some point, you can say it doesn't look sexy. You can say it doesn't look, you know, awesome like the way the Chiefs play football, and I would agree. It doesn't look as appealing as the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs put points up in a hurry. For God's sakes, Tyreek Hill had 200 receiving yards in the first quarter of last weekend's game against the Buccaneers. At the end of the day, though, the Chiefs put up 27 points. If the Saints put up 31, but it looks ugly, what the hell do I give a shit what it looks like if it's 31 points? So there's a lot of complaints about the way the Saints look, the way they play. Here's what I know. This team is 9-2. They've won eight in a row. They're winning without their quarterback. They're 7-0 without Breeze the last two seasons so far. They're playing good defense. They're playing good offense. They're playing good special teams. All that falls down to the coach. And it would be so easy, and this is why I'm so impressed with Sean Payton over the last couple of years. It would be so easy to give up, at least for a season, just t- you know, mentally check out because of all the shit that's gone down through the Minnesota miracle, through the no call, through the push off in the wild card game. All those three heartbreaking losses when you felt like you had the team. You felt like you had the team 13 and 3 in 2019. You felt like you had the team 13 and 3 in 2018. You felt like you maybe had the team in 28, uh, 2017, excuse me, when you went 11 and 5. And neither year, none of those years, excuse me, did you get to the Super Bowl, which is your ultimate goal. It would be so easy 
to mentally check out for a year because you're Sean Payton. You got security with your job. Yet what does he do? He constantly comes out and gets this team in a position to win games. And the Saints have been so damn good over the last four years that they might win 50 games in that four-year stretch. And that's not easy to do. I, th- I believe there's only a handful of teams that have done it in NFL history. Of course, the Patriots fall in that group because they always used to win a shit ton of games with Brady and Belichick at the helm. So, again, I do not think Sean Payton's going to win Coach of the Year. I could say, I can make a you know list a million reasons why he should. I don't think he'll win it. I think cases will be made for Mike Tomlin. Cases will be made for Brian Flores. And I can't argue with either, with either option. I think both were phenomenal so far, and, and they continue to prove everyone right. But man, for once, can the NFL just say, Sean Payne's doing a really good fucking job with the Saints. He's been so good with this team for the last four years. They continue to play well. Heck, if they win this weekend and the Bears lose, the Saints already clinch a playoff spot through week 13 of the season. With four games remaining, they're already in the playoffs. It's just going to matter about seeding now. Do you know how much of a luxury that is? That is so huge, and it's a testament to the job that Sean Payton's done, and it's a testament to his ability to adapt. This Saints team is so different from the ones that we grew up loving in 2011 and 2009 and all those years. So different. And that comes down to coaching. He's able to adapt. He's able to still relate to the younger generation of athletes, and all he does is win games. And I'm sure some trolls will say the Saints don't win in the playoffs, and that's fine. One team every year is fortunate enough to lift the Lombardi Trophy. There's going to be a lot of teams every single year that were close, didn't get their hands on it. Unfortunately, the Saints fall in that category. Doesn't take away from your greatness. Sean Payton, Coach of the Year, in my opinion. Although, I don't think he'll win it. Now, let's get into the injury report for this week. Saints-Falcons, it's a big one for both teams. And believe it or not, the Falcons have more names on their injury report. I know that's going to shock you guys. The Saints usually are stacked on the injury report. And that is true. But the Falcons got a Pretty big injury report, too. So let's go through it. Let's go through the Falcons, and then we'll get to your beloved Saints. So the Falcons for this one, Julio Jones limited with a hamstring injury. Todd Gurley limited with a knee injury. Youngway Koo limited with a right quadricep injury. Calvin Ridley limited foot and ankle. That doesn't sound great. Uh, then you have Smith with a uh, knee injury. He was a full par- uh, participant. You have Dante Fowler and Hayden Hurst with uh, limited participant hamstring and ankle, respectively. And then you got Kendall Sheffield didn't practice due to an illness. Obviously, keep an eye on that due to you know the times. I mean, with COVID-19 going on, you never be too sure. Hopefully, this is not an illness that's COVID-related. Hopefully, it's just something else. And then James Carpenter, the starting left guard, I believe, for the Falcons, groin injury. He was carted off last week. The fact that he was still on the injury report, just a do not, you know, didn't practice. Kudos to him, man. Offensive linemen are really tough, um, but it will be an upfield battle for Carpenter to play. So I do think Julio will play. I'm not so sure if Gurley will, and even if he does, I don't know if he'll be a factor with his bad knees, but I think Julio will play. It's a matter of does Julio finish. Julio is a tough guy, man. He plays hurt every year and still puts up over 1,000 yards and big numbers. And yeah, sure, the touchdowns aren't there, but he is a Hall of Famer. I don't care what anyone says. The man will be a future Hall of Famer. But this is a banged-up lineup for the Falcons. They already had to put uh, Zacchaeus on injured reserve. That's a big loss for them. That's your wide receiver three slash four. He's out for uh, probably the rest of the year at this point. So you have Julio on IR. uh, On IR, excuse me. You have Julio on the injury report. You have Calvin Ridley on the injury report. I'm going to say those two are going to play, and that's how I'm going to break down the game when I get to that in a couple of minutes. But those are to monitor. Todd Gurley worth monitoring. And Youngway Koo, believe it or not, might be the one guy on this injury report that could dictate this game the most. You're probably going to think that I'm joking with you. I'm not joking. He made three field goals last time they played. I believe two of them were 50 yards out. He's been really good on this season. If he's shaky, 
that takes out a really big element of this game because the Falcons might not score a lot if the Saints defense is playing well, but if they get in field goal position, you're going to need your kicker to convert. He did that the first time around. If he can't do that the second time around, it could be tough sledding for the Falcons. So without further ado, let's get into the Saints injury report. A couple that did not practice. Marquez Callaway with a knee injury, Janoris Jenkins with a knee injury, Deontay Harris with a neck injury, and Ty Montgomery with a hammy injury. Then you have a couple of limited, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. I said this last week. I'm going to hold to it. I think they're going to go full-on Kawhi Leonard load manage the shit out of these twos, these two guys. I mean, they're too good. There's no point in overworking him. Michael Thomas kind of re-injured himself against Broncos. I would monitor this, see how he looks on Sunday, but I think he's going to play. And then Kamara. Kamara still looks good when he runs the football. I think this is a maintenance thing, and it's smart by the Saints. Limit them Wednesday, maybe even limit them Thursday. Let them at it at a full practice on Friday. Let them play on Sunday. That would be the, the schedule for me, and we'll see what they do. And then Andrews Pete, concussion, full participant, good sign that he'll be back this Sunday, which would be huge for the Saints. And I know someone's probably going to roll their eyes while listening. Andrews Pete's had a pretty solid year, guys. And with the way Cesar Ruiz is playing, I want Andrews Pete in the lineup. Can't believe I'm saying it, but I do. So... If Andrews Pete returns, that'd be a big plus for the New Orleans Saints. He actually got hurt last time around the Falcons. Hopefully, he gets some revenge this time around uh, against the Falcons. So, let's talk about a really, really important thing about this game. How does Taysom Hill look? What happens with number seven? First start was fun, man. We had a lot of fun watching him run the football, take a couple of deep shots, although one of them looked like a damn punt, but that's besides the point. It was fun. Taysom was great with the football, 18 to 23, didn't turn it over through the air, did have a fumble though, ran the football effective with 50 plus yards and two touchdowns, probably what you would expect on the best case scenario for Taysom. Second start, not so good. Now, I I was one of those people who tried to defend him a little bit on social media. I said, look, the whole game plan, if it changes, that's a big thing. If you go from having a loose style of play where you're going to get out in space and you're going to take some shots and all of a sudden it changes and you're really playing game manager for a guy like Taysom so early in his career as a starter that could mess with your psyche and that's kind of what probably happened in my opinion besides the point though because I'm not going to give him a full pass there's some things Taysom needs to do better not just for the Saints to win games for Taysom to have a shot at being a starter more importantly when the Drew Brees era comes to an end one He's got to see the field better. Like, I cannot stress that enough. And and it really, I don't know if it'll ever happen because these are some things that you're just born with, in my opinion. But you can get better at, obviously. He missed a uh, throw over the middle of the field to Traquan in my film study that I caught wide open. I mean, that's a 20-plus yard gain. Missed him. Threw to Michael Thomas instead of went incomplete. Targeted Jared Cook on a pass that I think he predetermined he was going to throw by the snap when he could have taken a shot to Marquez Calloway. Didn't take it. Okay. And my second issue... He's not getting the ball in space to Alvin Kamara. I hear a bunch of people ask me, and this is fantasy related, Chris, why the hell is Alvin Kamara not getting me fantasy points? Look, first off, your fantasy team is not my problem. I'm going to be honest with you. But the issue is not because of Kamara's injury. It's because Taysom Hill is not Drew Brees. Drew Brees, if he doesn't have his first couple reads, check down's there. And it's always going to be there with Alvin Kamara. So he gets the ball out quick. And even if his reads aren't there, he goes through his reads so quickly, a second and a half later, that ball's in Kamara's hands. Taysom, for some reason, can't explain it, does not get the ball to his checkdowns enough. And there was a couple of plays against the Broncos that I saw. Taysom took a sack and was looking for more instead of just dumping it off to Kamara. And the one thing about Kamara, you know, if it's one-on-one, he's going to beat his tackler. Nine times out of ten, he's going to beat that tackler. So you know he's going to get positive yards. Got to get the ball to him in space. And there was a play, and this was the most egregious from last weekend, 
It's a screen pass. Blockers are out. Kamara's going to have a big gain. And Taysom decides he's going to double clutch the football like he's A-Rod botching a grounder to third base. And I don't know what the hell he was doing. I really don't know what the hell he was doing. And if he gets that ball out of Kamara, that's a 20, 25, maybe even a house call. And that type of play, that one play can change your perception of how Alvin Kamara looks with Taysom Hill and the Saints. You know, when Drew's in, we talk about Alvin being a touchdown machine, getting the ball constant. If he hits that screen pass to Alvin, Alvin takes it, I don't know, 50, 60 some odd yards to the house. You're looking at his game differently. He had 40 rushing yards. He had 60-plus receiving yards and a touchdown. That's a great game for Alvin Kamara. Instead, we have people saying, oh, what's wrong with Kamara? I'll tell you what's wrong. His quarterback's not getting the ball to him in space, and Taysom's got to be better than that. Now, this is not me shitting on Taysom Hill. This is just things he needs to be better at because I'll tell you what. A lot of people are going to be skeptical of Taysom going into this game. A lot of people are going to say this, the, the jig is up. It's not working, whatever. And I'm here to tell you, I think Taysom's going to play good, or well, I should say. And I think Taysom is going to have another solid outing against the Falcons. I'll get into my prediction later. But this is a guy who, when the play calls are there for him, maximizes that play call's potential. When the shot plays there, he'll throw it. When the run plays there to the side on a design power run with Mike Burden blocking, he's going to get 15, 20 yards. When it's not there, though, the off-script thing, that's what you want to see him get better at. Maybe take off a little bit more. Maybe don't be afraid to pull the trigger. Sometimes he doesn't do that, and that results in sacks. That results in some fumbles. A couple of issues to monitor with Taysom. But I do think he's going to play well, and I think part of the reason he's going to play well is if you're the Falcons, you got to be sitting back. The only tape you can look at is him kicking your ass two weeks ago. That's the only tape you can look at. And even then, you're not sure if that is the full version of Taysom Hill you're going to see. Because let's be real. The Saints had the training wheels on that first half. Absolutely had the training wheels on the first half. Barely took any shots. Were super conservative. The second half is when we saw Taysom get a little bit more comfortable. The Saints ran him a little bit more. And he looked pretty good. So we'll see what happens. I don't think they have enough tape yet to just shut down Taysom Hill. And I do think that last week's game was an anomaly. I do not think Taysom will be as good all the time as his first game. But by no means do I think he's going to be as bad as the game you just saw last week. And that's the important thing. You're never as high as your highest highs. And you're never as low as your lowest lows. You're going to think that I'm just repeating bullshit. I'm telling you that's the way it is. Especially with a guy like Taysom Hill. He's not going to be as great as you might expect. But he's damn sure is not going to be as bad as you saw Sunday. That was them playing conservative, changing the playbook. I expect another decent outing from Taysom. Maybe 180 to 200 passing yards. Maybe another 50 rushing yards and two scores on the ground. Something of that variety. I think that's what you're looking at Taysom Hill. So I think he's going to play much better against the Falcons. Um, and we'll see what happens there. So let's get into keys to victory. First one's going to be the main key I had last time. And I know that's going to sound boring. And, and you know, I'm playing it safe. I'm playing to win this game, damn it. And if you're playing to win this game, you got to pick the most obvious key to victory. And the most obvious key to victory is win the line of scrimmage. The Saints didn't just dominate the line of scrimmage. They beat the shit out of the Falcons. And I'm going to put it blunt, and that's the reality. Matt Ryan got sacked eight times. He was touched more by the damn uh, Saints defensive lineman than anyone else. They were in the backfield all day long. Cam Jordan was asking him, what drink can I get you? They were chilling back there in the backfield, and they were making a living off Matt Ryan. He took a lot of shots, and that's why he played bad. I mean, you're rattled. You want to get the ball out quick. You're afraid you're going to get hit. You hear footsteps. You throw a couple of interceptions because of it. Win in the trenches. Get after Matt Ryan, and you will win this game. It's that simple. And I could stop there and say that's the key to the game. I'll give you two more, obviously. But that really is 
the main key. If Cam Jordan continues to sack Matt Ryan the way he's been doing, Saints are going to be all right. And might I add, Cam Jordan's six and a half sacks away from getting 100 sacks for his career, which is an amazing milestone. He'll probably tack on that, that number this weekend if he plays on top of his game the way he's been the last couple weeks. He's been really good, so we'll see what happens. But that obviously is a main key for that one, and no one can deny it or really complain about it because that's a reality. Number two, let Taysom do his thing. What do I mean by that? Let Taysom loose. When the Saints run the football with Taysom, it's always in the second half. And when I mean run the football, I mean run the football in, you know, in midfield, not by the goal line. In the goal line, you can run Taysom whenever. Let Taysom loose from the get-go, though. Don't give me the nonsense where it's the third quarter or the fourth quarter that we're getting some interesting run designs in there. I want to see Taysom loose early. Let him get comfortable. Let him know that he owns this Atlanta Falcons defense. Let him feel good. So get a good run out on the first drive or the second drive of the game. Let him get into rhythm as well as a passer, something the Saints didn't do last week. Hopefully they can do this upcoming week against the Falcons with some short designs to Michael Thomas, some routes to the outside with Emmanuel Sanders. Let him get confident. Let him get in rhythm, and the rest will take care of itself. And number three, and this one is the most important one for me outside of the trenches one because the Raider, the uh, Falcons coming off confidence, man. They have a confidence booster from beating the shit out of the Raiders. I mean, that game, You want to talk about a what-the-hell-just-happened game? The Falcons beating the Raiders 43-6 is the weirdest thing from this season. One of the weirdest things, I should correct myself, because we just had Wednesday afternoon football. So, the second weirdest thing of this season, the Raiders getting beat down by the Falcons. So, the Falcons are coming in, riding a little high, feeling good. Punch them in the mouth early. I do not mean literally. I do not mean literally punch them in the mouth like Ron Artest back in Detroit. I mean, punch him in the mouth with a couple of run stuffs, with a sack or two, with a couple of hard runs. Let him know early, you're not the Raiders. This is not going to be an easy game. This is not going to be 43-6. to You're coming in for a dogfight. And I think the one thing the Saints did great the first time around against the Falcons was early and often they set the tone. They were out for blood. They were there to hit harder. And you saw the Saints were ready for a rivalry, and the Falcons were kind of like, nah, I'm good. You can have it. I don't want this game. Come out with aggression, come out with authority, and let them know you're here for the sweep. And if you do get the sweep, you know the Houdat Nation is going to be acting a fool on Twitter, and I'll be right there with him. So come out with a lot of aggression and make it very clear, you're not the Raiders. And if that's a run stuff on third and short with David Anyamata, if that's a big-time sack by Marcus Davenport or Cam Jordan, whatever it may be, find a way to punch him in the mouth early. And that doesn't have to mean the scoreboard. The Saints don't got to be up... 14 nothing in the first quarter for to say you got punched in the mouth early. It just needs to show you have control of the game, which they had last time around, and we'll see if they have this time around as well. Now, I know you guys are probably wondering, Chris, what's your prediction for the game? I'm going to pick the Saints to win this game. Look, the Falcons do worry me, and then before the year started, and even two weeks ago, I said the Falcons were going to split with the Saints, and it'd be stupid of me to say I'm switching my opinion now, and that would be kind of weird. I really don't try to switch off my opinions, but I am for this one because I do think the Falcons kind of shot a lot of their bullets last week against the Raiders. Everything worked. Their defense was good. Their offense was clicking. Their special teams was on fire. Everything worked for the Falcons. Is everything going to work for a second time in a row? And I do think the fact that Taysom didn't have a lot of on film, I think that matters. And I know people are going to put stock into it. That really does matter for me. I thought that the Falcons would have a chance to look at a Taysom Hill who struggled with the actual intended game plan that Sean Payton had for him, not with the bootleg version that you got from the thrift store. That's not what I expected. So I think the Falcons are going to struggle here to figure out Taysom Hill 
a little bit more. And now I'm worried about Janoris Jenkins not playing, but Patrick Robinson is a really good fill-in. And I'm worried about Marquez Callaway and Deontay Harris not playing because then it really takes out the field position aspect from special teams because I, I don't know who... This isn't a secret, any of us, I should say, but Austin Carr is not going to break people's ankles in the return game. He's going to fair catch that football and then sit his ass back on the bench. That's it. So they won't have fun special teams plays. That's for sure. But I think this Saints team, with the way they're playing defensively and the way they're getting after the opposing quarterback, that's it. If the Saints come out early and they're getting after Matt Ryan, they're going to win this game. And I think that they're going to be able to do that. So we'll see. Obviously, things can change. But the Falcons are just as banged up as the Saints. The Saints are getting back Andrews Pete, it seems like, which is a good plus. We'll see what happens, obviously, but I think this defense is playing way too well right now. The Saints know that everything's out in front of them. If the Saints are going to lose a game in the next three weeks, it better be the Chiefs game. You got to take care of business against the Falcons, a divisional opponent. You got to take care of business against the Eagles, an NFC opponent. If you're going to lose, you lose the Chiefs one. We'll see what happens, though, but I do think the Saints will win. I think they're going to play hard-nosed defense, and I think that Taysom Hill not having enough on tape right now kind of saves him from getting exposed. And we'll obviously see if that's the case, but I'm going to go with the Saints. I'm sure a lot of people will. I'm not too confident about this game, not overly confident. I was very confident last week. I thought the Saints would beat the Broncos. Uh, When you find out they don't have a quarterback, that's it. It's over. But this is a game, a division rivalry game. You know Raheem Morris is going to have his boys playing hard, so we'll see what happens, but I'm going to roll with the Saints. Probably around the same ball uh, score as last time, but I'm going to go a little bit different. I'm going to go 27-17 Saints. Um, We'll see what happens, obviously. Uh, It all really depends on the D-line. They can really dictate this game. But I want to know what you guys think about this one. Let me know on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you're listening to the podcast or got the link from. Hit me up on those social media accounts. Let me know what you think the score is going to be, who's going to be your big-time player of the game. Um, DM me for all I care. I mean, just let me know what you think. I'm always intrigued in uh, getting into conversations with you guys about the Saints. If you haven't already, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Check out the YouTube page, Straight Up Saints. Got some good videos out there for this week, including a film review of Taysom Hill and a little bit of a breakdown of Quan Alexander's emergence with the Saints. But once again, that's going to do it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and let's hope the Saints can continue their winning streak and stretch it to a whopping nine games.